are starting a new series this morning, and the title of our series is right there on the front of your bulletin. It's called Faithful Presence. Um, The past three weeks, we have spent time just talking about some of the affairs of the house, some of the issues of the house, and just going through what I call a state of the house address over the past three weeks, culminating with our talk last week simply on follow Jesus. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to jump on to the podcast. It's on iTunes. You can just look up Antioch Church, Colorado Springs, and iTunes until we get that resynced with our website and get all caught up there, and you can catch up with what we've been talking about. But today, we're going to be beginning a series on faithful presence. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to join me. We're going to hit a couple of scriptures very quickly, and then we're going to just lay the formation and the foundation for where we're going in the next several weeks. So go with me, if you would, to a couple of verses. We're going to go to Psalm 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, verse 1. And then we're going to go to John chapter 5, verse 17. Psalm 24, verse 1, and John chapter 5, verse 17. And we're going to dive in to what's going to be a very, very exciting series in the next several weeks. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Why don't we just say that together? Say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Love that. That will shape so much of our theology if we will allow it to. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Second verse of scripture here is John chapter 5 verse 17. And here Jesus is making an address after healing on the Sabbath. He's being interrogated. He's being questioned. He's being uh, opposed because of the work of God that is taking place on the Sabbath. And here's his response in John 5 17. In his defense... Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. Another translation says, my father is always working. He is always working. He is always active. He is is involved in every situation and in every sphere of life always. From the moment that God breathed creation into existence, there has never been a moment when God has not been involved in the affairs of the world. Never. He has never withdrawn his presence. He has never withdrawn his heart. He has never withdrawn his activity. And that is on a micro level and a macro level. That is on a personal level. That is on a global level. God is always at Work And Jesus says, and I too, like a good son, am working. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you are going to reveal to us and what you are going to build in us. We thank you for where you're going to lead us. And Father, we thank you for what you're going to shape in us, your people, the faithful presence of Jesus here in the world. We ask that you would put your hands on this series. We ask that you would shape. We ask that you would mold. We ask that you would guide. 
We ask that you would retrain. We ask that you would correct. We ask that you would guide us and lead us. We ask that in the course of this series, Father, that our hearts would become even more tender to your work, that our eyes would become more aware of how and where you are working in the world around us, and we would participate with that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm a little gun shy about doing this, but I am pulling a lot of the big concepts of our series out of a book. And uh, the past couple of times I've referenced books, they've got me in a little bit of trouble. So I'm a little nervous about this, but the book, it's called Faithful Presence. That's the name of the book, Faithful Presence. And the author is David Fitch, F-I-T-C-H. And so if you want to walk a little more closely with us, and, uh, and some of the material, like I said, some of the big ideas and the big concepts are coming out of that book. But uh, we always take those things, we ingest them deeply, we run them through scripture, we add uh, other scriptures that may not be in the pages of those books. And let me just say, as it relates to utilizing outside sources, uh, and I should have said this in, in previous times when we've used other works, uh, simply because we use an outside resource doesn't mean that we adhere to or agree with everything that is spoken in that book. And uh, I, I can't think of one book outside of the scriptures where every single thing that is written is right and good and true. So I probably say when I find a good book, about 85 to 90% of it I agree with and I can endorse with a lot of confidence. About 5% are things that I don't understand, and there might be 5% of things in that book that I just flat out say, ah, I'm not quite tracking with you right there. And, and this would fall into that category. So Faithful Presence by David Fitch, if you want to join with us. So in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means for us as the church of Jesus to be the faithful presence of God in the world and how we can become faithful to his presence. So there's two ideas that are working here. Number one, God is the faithful presence. We need to understand that God is faithfully present, alive, and active in the world and always has been. And number two, that when we are faithful to his presence, we become the faithful presence of Jesus to the world around us. So what do we mean when we say faithful presence? And I've taken this right here directly from David Fitch. He says, uh, it names the reality that God is present in the world. That's point number one. And that he uses a people that are faithful to his presence. And when he, when he works through a people who are faithful to his presence. And that's what we did today, and that's what we do every time we gather in small groups or in large. We are coming together in the name of Jesus to give attention to, or I like to say to tend to his presence and to tend to one another and the world around us. And when we do that, we begin to see how and where God is at work. And we want to see where God is at work, not just so that we can say, I know where God is at work, but so that we can join him. Now, let me give you a prophetic word of encouragement for those of you who feel like you are an impossible situation or a hopeless situation 
right now. That could be on a family level, a work level, children, job, national, global. God is at work. It may not always look the way that we expect or desire, but he is at work nonetheless. And the challenges or the monotony of life, I'm I'm beginning to identify language that is really helping me with a worldview, things like the glory of the ordinary. The glory of the ordinary. All throughout scripture, we can see that in very ordinary moments, God is still at work. And I really even shouldn't say still at work. Perhaps in some ways he is most at work in very ordinary moments of life. There is a liturgy to the commonplace. There is, a, there is a liturgy. There are fingerprints of God that are available in very quiet moments of life. In very, very boring, very monotonous, very mundane moments of life. Very repetitive moments of life. God is present and he's at work. Shaping, forming, molding, guiding, correcting, training, building something of his presence inside of us. So faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world. He uses a people who are faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real. To make himself concrete and real. You know, you could actually say this. You could actually say that when God's people come together in his name, that you should be able to witness and see something of the visible nature and work of God in their midst. That's the truth. So it names the reality that God is present in the world, that he works with a people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete, visible, and real in the world and in the world's struggles and pain. So we can never divorce mission from God's presence. God's presence is formative, or we could say it's formational in that it's, it's shaping us into his image. But God's presence is always missional as well. And those two things are not at war with each other. God is shaping us, discipling us, molding us, and he is empowering us and mobilizing us for witness into a dark, fragmented, fractured world. And perhaps one of the things I'm most excited as we get into this series is how it's going to redefine the paradigm of evangelism for us. And and I believe really catapult us into becoming more present in intentional living, an intentional life with people that are all around us. There are so many um, evangelistic, for a lack of better words, there are so many gospel opportunities that are in our spheres that we frequent on a daily basis. Another way to say this is there are fish that are swimming all around us. And so as we learn what we're fishing for, maybe this series will help us reevaluate our bait and our methods. All right, here's a couple of ideas for us to reorient our idea to a biblical understanding of God's presence. Number one, we understand that God is present in the world. What does that mean? It means that his presence is a reality. 
His presence is a reality. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that God promises, and he has promised, that he is with us. Can we all agree with that? Then why do we live like he's not? Because we do. Or why do we live like we have to do certain things in order to conjure his presence? Because we don't have to. Faith is the life of trust and obedience in what God says that he is and has done regardless of what we see or feel. The righteous walk by faith. So God is here. And when you leave, God is there. And at your workplace, God is there. And in other nations, God is there. And in airports today, God is there. He is here. He is present amongst us. Now, there are disciplines or practices that we can participate in that help us to become more aware of his presence. But his presence does not come or go based on those disciplines. Those disciplines are simply a means by which we turn or by which we look up or look around or look in. Those disciplines are avenues by which we become aware of what already is. The psalmist said it like this in Psalm 139. He says, even if I make my bed in the depths, what did he say? You are there with me. There is nowhere that I can go, the psalmist says, and escape from your presence. Surely you knit me together in my mother's womb. Surely in the depths you formed me. What does that tell us? It tells us that in great situations or in low situations, he is there. After Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he appears to his disciples and he commands them to carry his presence, to reveal his presence to all the world. We call that the Great Commission. And then he punctuates the Great Commission with a statement. And the statement is, lo, I am with you always, always. In every season, in every situation, in every circumstance, in every location, I am with you. So we know that his presence is a reality. How do we participate with that? By faith, number one. Number two, by understanding and engaging in the practices by which God says, I can make my presence aware to you. When we talk about the faithful presence of God, the second thing we're mentioning is that he is active. He's active. And we already looked at the verse there in John 5, 17, where Jesus says, my father is always at work. But the presence of God is not just a static thing that is limited to a location or it's not, it's not limited to a gathering. It's not, it's not limited to a people group. His, his presence is moving. In fact, I like in Genesis chapter 1, I want us to look at this real quick. Genesis chapter 1, how many of you guys are still walking with me? We find that in the beginning of creation, and we're going to walk through the redemptive story of God, the story of God in the scriptures, and we're going to find that this theme of God's presence is throughout all of the Bible. But in Genesis chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 1. He says, in the beginning... 
God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So even there, in that place of being dark and empty and void and formless, the Hebrew word there is chaotic. Look, look, what's, look, what's, look what's there. The presence of God is there even in the dark, chaotic, still, quiet, formless, empty moments of creation. God's spirit is there. And it says that he's hovering. The, the word there has a nuance of, of, of brooding. You guys ever, you guys see this thing? Apparently there's this phenomenon where there's like some camera on some eagle's nest and you can like click on and like at any given point of the day, you can find out whether or not this eagle is going to have, it's an eagle, right? Is that right? It's an eagle? Yeah. So like, so this eagle here is hovering over its young, its, its egg, watching, brooding, waiting. This is a picture of what God is doing in the earth. At all times, at all times. So he's, this, it's happening right now, but even when you're having that conversation with your child and you feel like they're, they're tuning you out, guess what? He's there hovering, brooding, breathing. He's involved. When you're in classes and you're about to fall asleep, right? He's there hovering, breathing, brooding, involved. When you're on the job site, and you're clocking in, you stayed up too late, or the kids had you crying in the night before, and you're going to, to, to work. He's there, hovering, breathing, brooding, involved. The presence of God is active. It's formational, but it's also missional, and it's transformational at its core. Number three, God's presence is constant. So we see that it's a reality to be experienced by faith. We see that it's active, but it's also constant. It never stops. It never ceases. He, he doesn't leave us nor forsake us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are, say it with me, with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In fact, we find that the entire scripture is a revelation of God's hands-on involvement in the life of humanity. I, I want to walk through this to help us understand that God's presence is timeless. It's timeless. From the moment creation started throughout the rest of eternity, God will always be with us. And i got to move very, very quickly. I'm going to just spout off a lot of scriptures. You can jot them down. But um, let's begin just with the understanding of creation itself. We've looked at Psalm 24, 1 that says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We've looked at Genesis 1 that God was present in the formation of creation. Let's look at the garden, in the garden. What is happening in the garden? The thing that I love in the scriptures is it says that God planted a garden and in the garden, he planted trees, he cultivated a garden. And there's a lot to the agricultural analogy of God's activity in the kingdom of God at earth. You don't see roots, but you know that they're there. You, it's hidden, it's quiet, it's subversive, it's long, it's drawn out, it's monotonous, it's boring, but yet those roots are going deep. That's a picture of the kingdom of God at work in our lives and in the world around us. So in the garden, we find that Adam and Eve, 
listen to the voice of the enemy, and they break fellowship with the presence of God. So when we disobey, it's not that God withdraws himself from us, it's that our location has changed. And it's that our awareness, our ability to engage him the way that we once did before, it changes. So he hasn't moved, we have moved. And we have to take ownership of that. We have to take ownership when we don't sense the reality of God's presence. There might have been something that we've done to change our proximity to him. We also have to understand that times when we don't sense or feel the presence of God, that there might be something that God's doing to retrain us to be aware of his presence in different ways than we're used to. And you can see this in your marriage, you can see this in your children, you can see this all around you, that there's something that he's doing to mature me to relate to him and experience him in a different way and on a different level. Are y'all with me this morning? So we find that when Adam and Eve sin, that they go and they hide. And then I love this in Genesis 3.8. Genesis 3.8, it says, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And we can imply from that that this was a natural habit. This was a rhythm that God was so present with Adam and with Eve that, that they would have normal walks together. They would have a family walk in the garden. He would be close. He would be near. And that all changed when sin entered into the world. One of the greatest consequences of sin is the change of our proximity, the change of our receptivity, the change of our awareness of the presence of God. And they're removed from his presence. And then we see that through the rest of scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we find that God is constantly at work to bring his presence and reveal his presence, his work and his activity into the realm of the earth. We see it begins with a guy named Abram. God comes near to Abram. God interfaces and interacts with Abram. God calls Abram to engage with his presence to form a people who will tend to God's presence in the earth. That people we know now is the people of Israel. And then we find that the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. And what does God do? In Exodus chapter 3, let's just look here very quickly at Exodus chapter 3. And in verse 10 through 12, God hears the cries of his people and he comes near. And this is what he says with Moses. Look right now at verse, uh, at verse 10, Exodus 3.10. So now, this is God speaking to Moses after God reveals his presence to Moses in the bush. He says, now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. I will be with you, Moses. I will be with you in the midst of oppression, in the midst of bondage, in the midst of imprisonment, in the midst of opposition. I will be right there in the middle of it with you. Essentially, what God is saying is, I need to work with a person, and I need to work through a person to come near to the hurt of humanity in the world. How does God come near? He comes near through his people. 
a people of his presence. So God sends Moses into this dark situation with the promise, I will be right there with you. Moses delivers, he rescues, he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're in the desert. And then there's this glorious moment when the children of Israel rebel and God says, all right, that's fine. I, I'm not gonna move forward with you guys anymore in this concentrated manner. And Moses intercedes. And here's what he says in Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 12. Moses intercedes with God and he says, hey, listen, Jack, uh, I'm not going with these guys if you're not going. <laughs> you ain't gonna pull me out and leave me stranded with these millions of complaining and bellyaching, murmuring people, and you're not going with me. He's like, deal's off. And Moses intercedes to God on behalf. Don't pull your presence away from us. And, and God says, I will not relent with my presence. Look at verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. Verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. It's a great prayer for us to pray. He says, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go, will go with us? Now, here's a fundamental tenet of the Christian faith. He says, what else will distinguish me from your, and your people from all of the other people on the face of the earth? The presence of God is what marks us as his people. We're not just a people gathered around social issues. We're not just a people that enjoy hanging out. We are a people that are marked by the presence of Jesus in the earth. And it distinguishes us, or it should. I was chewing on this, I don't know when, I was just a few days ago, and I thought, okay, now, now Jesus, you, you said to your disciples in John 13, 34 and 35, you said that they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, by the way that you protect one another and serve one another, by the way that you care for one another, by the way that you walk together in humility with one another. He says, when the world sees that, they're gonna see a distinguishing mark of who I am on your lives as my people. And then I said, well, well, Jesus, if you said that they will know that you're my disciples by your love one another, and Moses said that the presence of God distinguishes us, I, I'm wondering if there's some kind of connection here. And I'm curious if the presence of God is most profound on our lives as a people when we walk in love one with another. Not necessarily when we walk in agreement. Not necessarily when everything is happening that we enjoy. Not necessarily when everything is happening that's easy because those things don't necessarily define or characterize love. But when we disagree and yet we choose to engage out of love, God's presence 
is there. When he asks us to open our hearts and our arms and our doors and our table to the stranger and to the alien and the foreigner and even to our enemy, God is most profoundly felt there because we are operating in his love. Are you guys with me? So I gotta move quickly here. We find that after this encounter where Moses says, your presence is what's gonna mark us and distinguish us, then God gives instructions to build a tabernacle. And what was the tabernacle but a picture? It was a tent that was to house his presence and it was a prophetic picture to say that wherever you go, I'm gonna be with you. And then we see that through the cycles of judges and kings, that the people of God said, well, your presence is not enough. We want a king like the other nations have a king. We want a government. We want a monarchy. We want someone who is tangible and touchable to rule over us like all the other nations. And God relents and he gives them a king and they go through these cycles. But in the middle of that, there was a man who said, I have a heart to not just carry you around in a tent. I don't want to just put up an REI tent for you, God. I want to build something that reveals your glory, something that is stable, something that is static, that is glorious. And so they build the temple. So where the tabernacle was a prophetic picture of God saying, I will go wherever you go. The temple is a picture of saying, I want you to come to me so that we can enjoy communion and fellowship together. But we find that throughout the history of Israel that they then squander themselves off. They begin to worship other idols and then the temple is left undone. It's left destroyed. And the temple was just a prophetic picture, was a type and a shadow of the reality that God is saying that in the future, my people will be my temple. We now are the temple of God. So where the tabernacle was a picture of visitation, the temple is a picture of habitation. God doesn't want to just travel with us and visit us. God wants to inhabit us, his people, in the earth so the world can recognize and see that God is at work in the world. But if, as we follow the prophetic scriptures, we find that the people of God are displaced. They're thrown into exile. The temple is destroyed. The people of God are displaced. And now they're living in another land. They are now the refugees. They are now the alien and the foreigner and the stranger in another land. And so Jesus comes onto the scene. And here's what the prophetic words say about Jesus. His name shall be called Emmanuel. Which means... God with us. His very name was a picture of the heart of God to be present with his people. And his very name was a prophetic announcement that in Jesus, God has now come to be permanently with his people. No more tabernacles, no more temples, I am going to reside. I am going to be present with you, in you, individually and corporately and as a people at all times. Many, many scriptures in the New Testament that we could look into in terms of Jesus saying, abide with me and I will abide with you. 
But perhaps one of my favorite ones is in John 1.14. Let's look at, look, look at John 1.14 because there's a really interesting word here. We don't see it in some of our modern translations. The, the King James uses this word, but we don't, we don't see this in the NIV. But look right here in John 1.14. It says, the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh, clothed himself, became a human being. And it says, and he made his dwelling. You know what that word dwelling is? It's tabernacle. The word became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us. He resided amongst humanity. See, the presence of God in humanity and working through humanity to reconcile the world to the presence of God has been throughout all of scripture. But let's look at Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, we'll look at verses one through three. Let's read this. Well, let's put our eyes on this together. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling. There's that word tabernacle again. Look at the theme here from the Old Testament to the New. God is using these pictures and he's using these words and he's using these themes that crisscross through hundreds of centuries. And he is saying the same way that I tabernacled with the people of God, I'm gonna send Jesus to tabernacle with you. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's tabernacle is now amongst the people. So not only is he now our tabernacle, but we are now his temple. And he just marries these pictures, these prophetic images throughout the entirety of scripture to reveal his heart, I want to be with you. Let's put that verse up there one more time. Listen, I wanna read the rest of that if we could. He says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be, say it with me, with them and their God. I'm concerned that maybe we have narrowly defined what we understand the presence of God to be. Because the presence of God is not just for us. And the presence of God is not just something that happens in the way that we desire or prefer for it to happen. His presence is always with us. Very, very important. Let me, let me close this morning by, um, by pointing us to this. We're going to talk here for the next several weeks on what it means to be the church, which is a people that are faithful to his presence, to be his faithful presence in the world. And we're gonna look at several things that Jesus said. Jesus said, when you do this, he says, I am definitively with you and I will make you aware. These, 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 these practices, these, these disciplines, they help you become aware of my presence. Here's what they are. We're going to talk about these in the next few weeks. Number one, the discipline of the Lord's table. The discipline of the Lord's table helps us become aware, mindful, helps us to tend to his presence. We're going to give some biblical instruction on that. The discipline of reconciliation. 
This one right here is amazing. And I've been, I've been seeing this at work in such a powerful way. What does this mean? It means that when we choose to come together in the spirit of Christ and in the spirit of humility to reconcile, he says, I promise I'll be there. I promise you I will be there. And I will be there in a way that is unlike other ways. In my word of faith background, I, 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 I kind of cherry picked promises like when two or three come together and they agree on anything. Well, I thought, well, that means that two or three of us, if we agree on anything, that we can get anything that we want. No, the context of that is reconciliation. The, the whole reason Jesus inserted that was to let you know that when you choose to come together in the midst of opposition and disagreement and hurt and offense, I promise you, I will be there. You can find me there. I'm working there. I'm at work in your reconciliation. Third practice is the discipline of proclaiming the gospel. The fourth practice is the discipline of being with the least of these. The poor, the widow, the afflicted, the immigrant. He says, when you come near and you engage and you become present with the least of these, he says, I promise you, I'll be there. I'll be working right in the middle of it. The next one is the discipline of being with children. Our children's ministry should quadruple. I'm serious. This is a chapter, when I read this, it changed everything for me. I mean, all these chapters have, but I mean, it really helped me to understand God right now is present with those little guys up there. He's present. He's at work. And we can recognize his presence in a way that we would not otherwise when we tend to his presence amongst children. The next one is the discipline of the fivefold gifting. And the final one is the discipline of kingdom prayer. Jonathan, come on up here. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to go back to that initial statement that I read. Faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world, that he uses a people or he works in and through a people who are faithful to his presence to make himself and his work concrete in the midst of the very real struggles and pains of the world. Let me just, let me close by saying this, guys. I had an opportunity to join a forum of pastors earlier this week. And it was a fascinating lunch because there were probably about 30 pastors that gathered together. And we met with the El Paso County Sheriff and the Colorado Springs Police Chief. And for about an hour, they just sat and they shared with us their heart for the city. They shared with us that not only are they believers who have grown up in this city, that shop in the same places that we shop at, that go to church in this city, that are raising up young believers in this city, they shared their heart with racial issues. They shared their heart for the disenfranchised in this city. 
and they revealed to us, they, they, it humanized them, but it also gave us a picture of the kingdom of God in action. And you guys can come on up here and, and find your station. One of the pastors in the room asked, and they said, if we could pray with you and for you on, on some of the issues that are most important that you're dealing with, what would those be? And I'm not going to divulge all of them, but this is very interesting. One of the, the, the police chiefs said, the issue of teen suicide in our schools that we are leading the nation not just our state. Here in, in our city, in our backyard, they said there's, there's, there's probably not one young person in our schools nowadays who has not been affected in some way by some person who has ended their life. That's, that's how real this is now. We met with the mayor in October, and here's what the mayor said. He said, we are now living in an age and in a generation and a culture. You, we can't miss this. We're living in a culture now where two parents in the same house is now the minority. It's the minority. Let me, let me, let me say this another way. The majority of children that are growing up in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our schools have grown up without a father or without a mother or without both. The majority of them. The majority of them. So when we see young ladies that are angry and that are hurt and that are broken, we could judge or we could say this is the fruit when a generation grows up without the love of a father the protection of a father the nurture of a mother the guidance of a family next week we're going to take inventory because there's no one around you that is not lonely that is not depressed, confused, angry, lost, insecure, rejected, broken, afraid. There is not one person on your job site. There is not one person at the lunch place we're going to today that does not feel one of those emotions. That is their reality. Where is the presence of God for them? And if we limit the presence of God to a feeling or a song or a service, what do we do for the people around us in our schools, in our cubicles, on our construction sites? What do, what do we bring to them? Hold, hold on, let me go grab a guitar. I'm going to sing a song for you. No. We gather in Christ's name. We are sent in Christ's name. And we bring, we reveal the presence of God. He's at work. Let me show you. Let me garner enough credibility. Let me garner enough relational capital in your life to peel back the layers of your life and show you God's at work. I promise you. I promise you. Guys, this is a year where we're going to get out of ourselves.
this is a year where we're gonna lay down our preferences and our petty divisive issues. We're gonna lay those things down to insert ourselves into the story where God is at work and the people around us hurting, dying, rejected, broken, wounded, abused, forgotten. That's why I signed up. That's why Christ died. That's why he gave us his spirit. That's why we gather together. Come on, let's stand to our feet this morning. Jesus promises that when we tend to his presence and when we tend to one another at the table, he will make himself known to us in a very unique way. And so my prayer for all of us today is that any religious worldview, any negative perspective that has been associated with this place of encounter, that it would be removed by the Spirit of God. And that today, that we would encounter Jesus afresh, his grace, his life, and his future coming. And we would partner and participate with that in a very profound way. So let's come to the table and we will receive together. You know, the beauty of the sacraments is that God can take something ordinary to reveal his extraordinary work. That he can take something so menial, so minor, so forgotten, so common and reveal something so glorious and so supernatural. It is perhaps one of the most prophetic things that we can do. Let me say that one more time because I think it's messing with somebody's paradigm. The table of Jesus is perhaps one of the most prophetic things that we do because it reveals his character and his nature through very tangible things and it speaks to what is to come. Jesus, we thank you that you make your presence visible through a people, that your person, your activity, and your rule, your kingdom takes shape in and through a people. We thank you that when we, your church, are faithful to your presence, that your kingdom becomes visible in the world. And we thank you that we, your people, invite the world to join with you. Lord, we are the faithful presence of God to the world by being faithful to your presence in the world. And you said one time, Jesus, that the kingdom of God is like leaven. It just slowly works its way to bring the kingdom reality of God to bear on those around. And we ask that as we take this bread, not only would we honor you and remember you, but we would look to be your faithful presence in the world around us. Let's receive of the bread. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we center our hearts and our lives and we center ourselves as a people around the redemptive work of your cross and your resurrection. Lord, we thank you that your blood has given us access to the presence of God. We thank you that once we were foreigners and aliens, that we were estranged from your presence, but because of this blood, a curtain has been removed. 
and we have been given access to boldly come before the throne of grace. Father, we know that this reality is formational and that it forms us as sons and daughters, but it's also missional. So today, as we come to the table, we take of this blood, we take of this cup, this juice, and we say today, Jesus, may you, through your church, be near to the world around us. May you sovereignly guide our footsteps and may you, may you come to bear on our thinking to become actively intentional in engaging the world around us to bring them into the presence of God at work in the world. In Jesus' name, let's receive. Thank you. Antioch Church, I just commission you today to be the faithful presence of God in the world around you by faithfully tending to the work of God. I bless you today to have eyes to see. I bless you to slow down, to not so, be so busy, to not be so distracted, to not be so entertained, to not be so aloof, to not be so calloused to the world around you. Antioch, I bless you today to be the faithful presence of God by paying attention to the faithful presence of God and working with God to reveal his presence to a lost and a hurting and a broken world by the power of his spirit and by the grace of Jesus. In Jesus' name.